You're listening to Electrician Live. Live. With your host, Paul Abernathy. That's me. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Electrician Live. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host as always, and I have a great show today. There's been a lot of interest with electricians, you know, the first of the year, you know, they start the first of the year and they uh, they want to think about starting their own business. And then, of course, they they get into it, all the paperwork, and we're going to have a series that's going to be the live shows uh, that are going to be on Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Uh, and uh, I think February 1st is the first one that we're going to talk about starting your electrical business. But it's, it's not just for you starting a new one. It's going to be important stuff for people that run one, and you can learn from our mistakes and things that we've tried out and steer you away from some things like whether you should use Home Advisor, whether you should get a part of Angie's List, uh, what's the benefits, upsides, downsides. Uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about record keeping, um, everything that you need to know, maybe some tips, and uh, uh, and we'll just try to share some good information on that. But today's episode, we really want to talk about the bare bones of estimating, because I get a lot of people that ask about estimating, and that seems to be, you know, you start your new business, as I was saying, and the first thing that hits you in the face is uh, you're, you're bidding on a job, and you're like, did I, did I leave anything on the table, you know? Did I leave any, any money out there? Because, you know, I, I'm bidding against other people. So that's the kind of one of the things that you, you wonder about. Did I leave anything on the table? Did I... You know, am I giving the best price? Could I have been a little higher and still won the job? And But the key is you have to be comfortable with what you're bidding at, right? You need to be comfortable with what you're submitting. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the steps to uh, estimating work a little bit. And what I'm hoping is, and I've got an invitation out there to a gentleman who runs uh, uh, an estimating company that actually teaches bidding and things like that around the country. And and I'm waiting for him to, to commit to doing a, a show with us. So I'll give him an hour show about this company, but what they do. But really, we want to focus on estimating and answering some questions. So hopefully, we can get that all lined up in the future. So just keep checking the electricianlive.com website, and you'll never know when that might might come to the uh, to the forefront here. We'll be posting it, obviously, quickly once it uh, takes place. Now... Let's kind of talk a little bit about your company. So whether you're a small or medium-sized company, your bidding is going to be something that you're going to be uh, enthralled in because you're going to be competing against other people. And, you know, it, it used to be the time. I remember when I was contracting heavily and I did work for people. And, you know, it's one of those things where as you're a contractor and I do work for people, and and you probably have been there. I do something in the middle of the night. I go out and, and run a service call for one of their customers or something like that. And, you know, they appreciate you. But then times get a little bit tight and all of a sudden um, they start shopping around. They forget that you're the one that came out in the middle of the night. You're the one. And so even if I was, what would tick me off is if I was $100 higher than my competitor, but I've always been there for you, that you would jump ship over $100. Now, to me, that's just foolish because you built a relationship but people do that so understanding when you're doing bidding it's real important that you understand how to submit smart right you want to win the bid but you don't want to lose your shirt in the process and you have to think about things like your labor the material what equipment might you have to rent 
Uh, maybe there's some things that you're taking on as the project that you have to subcontract it out. Now, I know electrical contractors who subcontract a lot of work out, uh, different parts of the work. So those are different things to think about. Um, you have certain what we call indirect costs, uh, which are things like overhead that you have to have for running your business. And everybody has an overhead, whether you're a small mom and pop or you're a large company with a lot of burdens, and we usually refer to that as burden, um, you're going to have to pay the payroll taxes and things like that. So even if you're a one-man shop or one-woman shop or two or three, you're still going to have those burdens. It's a cost of running business. Of course, you've got your, your advertising costs that you have to take care of. If you have trucks, you have that maintenance cost. So all this stuff, a lot of people, when it comes to estimating, will literally take for granted and not realize that that plays a big part in your pricing. Now, when you're a small company and you're working out of your house or whatever, okay, you can absorb some of that stuff because you don't have the same type of overhead. I get it. But we're going to talk about it in a, in a general sense because you know what? The, the death to a business is if you don't do your bidding right and you win the fair amount of jobs, but if you win them because you're too low, uh, because you it's okay to be lower as long as you're covering all of those costs that are associated with it. So, you know, again, it, it doesn't doesn't do you any good to win the bid unless you're simply winning bids to keep your, your people busy. There are some times of the year where some contractors, even larger, will take on jobs just to keep their, their people paid. And they'll make just enough to pay the burdens, and they're not making any profit, but they keep the people working, and, you know, they care about their people. Uh, and to those folks... But the reality is we're not in business to lose, right? So here's some kind of tips that we want to look at. Uh, so the first thing for me as an electrical contractor, when I was small or medium, and we were considered maybe a medium-sized contractor through the years, uh, I got smaller as I got older and older and decided to kind of you know, peel off those layers of responsibility that I wanted. Um, and, of course, got more into teaching and things like that. Um, it's choosing the right work to bid. There's certain things that you might bid that you just are not qualified for. I mean, really, you need to choose the right type of work. Um, if you had work that's got, if you're going to look at it and you're hungry, I get it. You're a contractor, you're hungry. But if you're going into bid data center work and you have no experience in data center, uh, there's a chance you're going to literally lose your shirt, really. Um, Another good example of this was taking on a job in PV, and you don't know anything about PV work. So this is an example where many people will take on a project, but you'll subcontract out certain parts uh, parts of the PV work to somebody. Okay, but you've got to pay that person, and of course they have to make a profit, so you've got to translate that into your bid and take it into account. So, you know, for another company that's bidding for that work, they already have in-house people, or that might be their bailiwick. That might be the thing they do. It's going to be hard for you to compete. So you got to look at the work and don't make the mistake of bidding on something that you're not going to be able to accomplish. And if it's a big enough project and you don't want to have a learning curve where you're learning while you're losing money, okay? So avoid that mistake in really understanding and analyzing the work that you're willing to take on. So that's an important thing. You don't want to totally get over your head with that. So the first you know, thing I tell people, again, is it's one thing when you're doing bidding work and things like that, but make sure it's within your wheelhouse, okay? And estimating is not the easiest thing 
People can throw things together. You can look up prices. You can look up stuff from supply house, throw it together. Some people just do rule of thumbs. Some do a certain dollar amount per square foot, and they really have no clue what they're doing. Uh, and then some people have done a job before. They made a profit on it, and they think, well, this is the same size job. It's about the same. I'll just go with this price, and I'm feeling a little perky today. I'll throw an extra 5% on it or something like that. And, and they just don't know. They just go at it. That's why it's so important to understand estimating if you want to be successful. If you're just working out of one van and, and you're used to and you're doing service work, it's, it's not as important. Um, and we'll talk about that as well. Some people, the difference between you know giving estimates and then when people ask you for a price quote. Uh, and then the, the devil... The uh, words they use are, it should be simple. It only take you an hour or two. Ah, that's the death to that. They have no idea what it's going to take you to do this, whether or not you got to fish in the walls, remove uh, gypsum board. They have no clue. To them, it's just easy because they're thinking price and they want you to do it as quick as possible. And they don't have any idea. So I do a, a you know, there'll be a, um, a podcast on that, on pricing and, and things to think about uh, when you're going out and you're, you're talking to the normal customer. Uh, through my years of, of teaching and working with electricians and, and doing it myself, some of the things to to really steer away. That just comes all the way back to what I talk about image. It's hard for them to, to throw that on you when you project the image, the professionalism, and you look at them and go, no, I'm sorry, you know, with the name, the shirt, the logos, and you go, no, it's, you know, it, it's just, I can't give you a price. I don't know what's in the walls and things. So that's a different topic, and, and I don't want to go down that road yet. So anyway, so choose the right work that you want to bid. Make sure it's within your wheelhouse. Again, you can learn on the job, but it's important when it comes to bidding, you need to make sure that you're not going to lose your shirt. And if you're going to have to hire somebody to subcontract, you got to be real careful because then you have that amount of money that you got to take into account. Now, the other thing to do is once you start getting into planning and bidding, you need to make sure that you review the specifications. So every good estimator that I know, and when I was in business, I'd always ask for the specification uh, because there's different divisions in there. There's general specifications that are on Division One, and then, of course, there's a lot of electrical or contractor direct related under Division 26, whether it's the wire types that you can use and manufacturers that you can use. Uh, and sometimes it'll give specifics, so you have to use a certain grade of materials, certain ratings of a product. And if you're bidding it, you don't want to make the mistake. Now, again, small residential stuff like that's not not going to hurt you too bad. Commercials uh, that can hurt you, especially if you're used to using something or some brand or whatnot, and you get into bidding it for that brand, and come to find out you didn't look at the specifications, and now you you've got a problem, right? Yeah. Um, so that's come, some of the things to, to really pay attention to. Uh, and also, when you're looking at all that, you want to make sure that you pay attention to different things like the requirements for the contractors on the project. Again, depending on what the project is, what their payment terms are, whether they require you to have a bond or not, which is going to cost you money. Uh, you need to verify first, if you're estimating, what your insurance requirements are for that job and making sure that your insurance is adequate. That's important. Of course, that's a price you got to take into consideration. Uh, There's some people that do insurance, specifically job directive. And when you do that, you need to make sure that if you're pricing an insurance for the job, a completion of a project, and there's companies uh, for insurance that just do that. Um, One I can think of is Next Insurance will do something like that. But anyway, when you do that, you need to make sure 
that your insurance costs are covered in your estimating price, okay? Um, so all of those type of things for the project, uh, looking at that specification, making to all that to be under Division One, kind of looking at their general specification requirements, making sure that everything you do is going to be acceptable to them. You don't want any secrets after you, you, you bid a project and realize you screwed up. Now, once you move on past the opening divisions inside of the specification for a job, then you move on to the more specific uh, Division 26 type of specifications. Uh, and in there, as a you're estimating a job, you want to make notes of certain things like the type of material that they allow, the ratings, some of the manufacturers that they allow, see if they align with maybe the supply house that you buy or your company buys with, making sure all that's uh, all uh, on the same par, you know, because, you know, you can be careful how some of those things are written in Division 26. Um, a lot of times also in there that uh, you want to make sure that there's anything in there that's going to cause a problem. Uh, you know, like, for example, typical XHHW-2, just talking wire, uh, won't have a VW1 rating, and they're not required to have an FT4 IEEE-1202, which is flame ratings, because you don't need all that enhanced rating, but you don't know the job spec might call for it. And if you spec the wrong product and you priced it, and remember that that might not be part of the standard product, then you've all of a sudden, you priced on a, on a product that doesn't have all the additional, uh, for lack of a better term, chemicals and, and flame retardants that are higher level or whatever to meet those higher flame tests. You don't have it in that product, yet the specification. So then you end up having to bid a job, and then later when it gets accepted, somebody goes and finds out that that product or something that you selected doesn't meet their specification, then what do you do? You are screwed, right? Yeah. Then what do you do? You eat it. And as a, and as, cause you're the one that did the, the price. You're the one that did the estimating. So just look over. So I, that's my second thing. I always say, look over the specifications and see if there's anything specific that would kind of fall out of line with the products that you normally would use. Okay. Manufacturers, product types, uh, anything like that. Some of the, some of the requirements, uh, are all in Division 26 as well as Division 1 for the general. Just make sure you you look over them because, again, uh, in some cases, they'll even have what's called an, an alternate option. And you need to look at it and see if it says, well, if I can't use this brand or this make, it might have a statement that says that you can use another equally, uh, that's something equal to that. And, of course, then you have a process of submitting whatever you want to use to the actual uh, owner's or general contractor and say that it, this it's equivalent and I'd like to use this product, right? Um, and the bad part about that is many people will use that if you're not if a company's not listed on a specification. The only problem is is once they accept you as a contractor and you you bid it and you and they'll say, didn't you look at our specifications and you want to submit and use a product from a manufacturer that's not listed, it's an uphill battle. And if you do it up front, sometimes the general contractors look at you and say, well, why are you bidding this? You're using, you want you telling me right up front, you don't want to use any of the products that are listed in our requirement here. So again, it's a catch 22. Um, but that's why it's so important before you bid the project to look at the specification and see what's on there or not. You might see, for example, a manufacturer that's on there or manufacturers that are on there, but it doesn't align with the manufacturer that you typically use. 
and you're going to need to address that up front. No sense in bidding it. And you find out that you've got to use some other manufacturer and you might not have a, you might have to go to a different supply house where you don't get the same, same pricing. And that's going to affect your bid. So always read the specification and request the specification for the project. Now, the next thing that I say is, is you need to review the drawings. Uh, once you get that drawings, you kind of get an idea, kind of go over it real quickly, get an idea of what you're doing, what's, what's involved in it. Uh, you should always review the architectural in addition to any electrical, because the architectural gives you an idea of the heights, the working heights, elevations, and that's going to make a difference for me as an electrical contractor, because I might have luminaires that are higher, and that means I'm going to have to have a lift, or I might have some type of um, equipment there to be able to do it, and of course, that can affect uh, the price, so that's important. So I always want to look at the architecturals, and again, it's trying to give me a general overview and once I kind of look at the architecturals and look and say, okay, I'm going to need lifts here for finishing luminaires uh, up high. Uh, maybe I got some signs that's part of my contract that I'm going to wire up and I, you know, I need a lift and that's going to affect my pricing. All those things. You don't want to be snuck up on by something and, and you got a contract out there and you're unable to, to do the project or you bring something in and you end up having to rent a lift that's cost you $1,000 a day or whatever they cost. Um, and you, you end up, you know, eating all your profit. It's not going to work. It's not going to stay in business very long, so you don't want any surprises. Uh, after you look at the, the architectural, you move right into the uh, Division 26 or the electrical plan drawing, and you start looking at that. And that's where, you know, once you get into that, you start taking notes about anything uh, that might be different from the drawing versus what might be on the specifications that you just read. Okay, so you're looking and seeing anything that might stick out that's wrong. Uh, and, and I've done this before, and I look at a specification, and I read it and understand it, and then I look at the drawings, and something about in the specifications doesn't jive with the drawings, and you need to bring that to their attention. And a lot of times in a submittal bid, I'm still bidding on the project, but I'll have a notice that I put on the top that will actually say discrepancies a seeking clarification notice. And that'll be like you're still bidding it, but you need clarification because there's something different and you want to do it right and you want to bid it right. So again, usually doesn't happen that often on uh, small jobs, but some medium and large side jobs, it can be be a problem. So again, really what you're doing is reviewing the drawing at a, what I like to say, a 30,000 foot view on the architectural to get an idea of any additional labor costs or equipment costs. Then you can start digging down and looking at the Division 26 or the actual technical electrical drawings. And then you can start looking for discrepancies, looking it over, giving a, a good view. You haven't started the next step, which is doing a, a takeoff. You're really just kind of looking for any differences. Everything jives up. Everything looks, anything that blares out at you. Okay. All right. Then the next step is obviously to do a takeoff. Now, there's a lot of different softwares out there that do this. Uh, there's the Best Bid Hybrid Pro, which is probably the best that I've seen as far as doing takeoffs. It's really just a click, 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 click. In fact, you can scan in your blueprint and click, 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 click away. Um, but there's a lot of pins. In the old days, I used to use a calculator pin, the one that you, you, you touch it, and it would it would keep track of everything, and you'd zero it out, and you, and you had a little ruler, and you'd measure links and things like that. So some of the newer softwares today will do that all for you. Uh, it'll actually scan in the blueprint and or even take a picture of the blueprint so it kind of overlays and then you can do a takeoff based on that and do your measurements and all that with a click 
uh, and it's important that you do. Um, but if you're going to do it manually, smaller jobs, medium to small jobs, I'm just as quick doing it manually. Current, you want you want to have your highlighters. Uh, you want to have your scale, and I use the Scale Master. It's a it's again it's a pen with all the digital things in it. Um, and I, you know what? I would even refer you to the type, but I don't I don't I don't even see it around here because I haven't done one in a long time. So um, have that. Um, again, software, there's tons of software that you can just regurgitate that information into the software. There's a lot of estimating softwares. Most all of them have some type of takeoff on it. But in a gist, what you're trying to do is you're trying to do a lot of counting and a lot of measuring on the drawing. For example, for luminaires, receptacles that are being called, most of the plans like that are going to call out where the receptacles, unlike residential, which basically it's just meeting the requirements of the National Electrical Code 210.52 spacing, unless, of course, they want something extra uh, and that type of thing. Uh, but usually when it comes to electro drawings for, uh, for commercial projects or uh, I've even seen them for some upscale residential that are multi-million dollar homes. I had blueprints for that. Uh, and they had it very specific where they wanted things. That's fine. I always still like to do a walkthrough with the customer and, and, and you know double check everything and make notes and all so that we're all on the same page. Um, but in the commercial software, you know what you're measuring is the receptacles, the number of them, the the conduit runs or tubing runs, uh, panels, any gear, any switch gear. Um, I always suggest, and most people's opinions will differ on this, but I always start with the luminaires um, because you're going to have luminaires in different classes, different sizes. Uh, different, you know, labeling might be luminaire A, luminaire B, luminaire C, and you'll have what's called a lighting schedule that's actually on the drawings from most commercial af- applications. So you'll have a a lighting drawing, and in fact, you can also request in many cases from the customer or the the engineer that's designing it. You would ask for a lighting schedule, and it'll match up, and you're allowed to look at the number. You'll you'll look at the numbers. And you'll assign them with the different luminaires that are on the actual drawing, and you'll keep a tally. So I need six of these uh, type A's, which might be a, a two by four truffer, and you know, or whatever it might be. You know, you're aligning it up. Once you do that, and you start putting it all together, and you keep those totals, uh, you will see if you if you find anything that's missing uh, in your count, you'll actually be able to quantify it back because you know. You're just you're making notes of everything, and I always do a highlighter and highlight it uh, the the class if it's a or a type if it's an A and it's on my legend lighting legend A for this one, and I highlight them in different colors uh, if I'm going to do highlighting. Now again, some of the the bidding software um, will allow you to do that, color code it, separate it out all in your software, uh, and so hopefully we'll have somebody on that will talk more about bidding software. Uh, I kind of know how the best bid hybrid works, uh, but there's others. I used to use Conest when I was back in contracting uh, heavily. So anyway, there's many people do it manually, and it allows you to do that. Now, the quantities that you have that are on your sheet, once you do your takeoff and you've color-coded it out and you're able to count it and measure everything, then that's when you'll transfer that into your actual uh, software, unless you're doing it through the software. Okay, um, but here's the key. Once I have the lighting total or the type of lighting, the first thing that I like to do up front, I like to get it to my supply house and get a quote uh, on the lighting. Now, hopefully everything jives. The, the lighting layout that they gave or the lighting schedule uh, that should be on the drawings matches what I count 
on the, the actual plans. That's why we're looking at it. That's why we're checking our counts to make sure everything jives. Uh, that they added one and they don't keep account of it. And you want to make sure that you note that because you got to let the engineers or the owner know that the counts don't jive. But for me, it's all about time. I want to get the bid back as quick as possible. So I start with the lighting so that I can immediately get that off to my supply house and start getting a quote on the lighting because I need to have the quote. Okay. So it expedites the pro- it moves the process along by getting the quote. And then I can just start doing the other things like receptacles. I know what my cost of receptacles is and all that kind of stuff. So um, so you just want to make sure that you're definitely just making sure that you supply the lighting schedule and the counts to your supply house as early as possible so that you can start getting ahead of the game. Then you can start moving on to your panels and breakers and, and other things like that. But I definitely, the lighting seems to take the longest to to get the pricing back. And again, the one thing about you creating this bid is that you can send it to multiple supply houses to get multiple prices because the luminaires are going to be generally the same. It's They're, they're going to have a, a schedule. It's going to say A1, B1, C1, D1, whatever it is. And you're just simply trying to get pricing. So you want to put that together so that you can get a, a, a pricing for that. Okay. Uh, now, again, if you have a, a preferred supply house, they're probably going to take care of you, but I would always make sure that I send it out to other supply houses just to get a good, you know, keep my my favorite supply house. I want to just want to keep them honest. That's where we're at today. We really can't help it. We have to we have to keep them honest. Now, once I do, do that, then I can just start moving through the rest of my stuff where I'm picking off all the receptacles. Uh, and in most of the softwares today, you'll know you have a receptacle. You know that it needs a cover plate. Uh, you know that it, you know, you know that it needs the box. And a lot of times, the software will, uh, newer software will actually calculate all that out, unit cost for each item. Okay. So, but the one thing that I need to do in my estimating software is sometimes it updates with national pricing, which could be different than localized pricing. So once I start getting my count of all my items, receptacles, boxes, uh, measuring my lengths of wire, uh, and things like that, at this point, I'm starting to put down unit costs for each item. And a lot of people like to do the unit cost pricing. And a lot of the estimating softwares have that built into that. And some of them uh, even pull information uh, from the NECA's Manual of Labor Units, and they use that as a guide. But most of the softwares are customizable. Uh, and you can change it for your area. Like, for example, up north in Rhode Island might be totally different than, than down in Alabama, that type of thing. So pricing, you know, geographically will, will change. And most of them allow you to, to change that. But determining the material cost is pretty simple. All you really have to do is call your supplier with your list of the stuff that you're drawing out of what you need. This many boxes, this many two gang boxes, this many three gang boxes, this many four by four boxes, four and 11 16 boxes, uh, cover plates. You just need to look at the plans and just systematically go through and come up with your lists. Okay. Now, once you do that, it's pretty simple. Uh, get that information, uh, to the, uh, to supplier, uh, you know, and they'll give, they'll, they'll get you a price for those. But, the hard part of that is not the equipment or the material. It's the labor units. And that's why the NECA's Manual of Labor Units works. Uh, it's, it tends to be a little high. But you know what? It, it works. It is available for purchase from NECA. Uh, but a lot of softwares, again, like the Best Bid Hybrid, 
has its own labor unit factors built into it uh, based on when you're measuring from receptacle to receptacle electronically. If you're doing everything electronically, which is most people are doing today, it will keep track of the wire and it will add a certain amount onto the end uh, for making ups and you know making up in the boxes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you want to definitely take your length into account. What I will say that if you're measuring box to box and you add a little additional length on that for makeups, that's not going to kill you in your overall cost. Okay, as long as you just don't guess amount of wire and say oh, I want fifty thousand feet of this, that at least you have a starting point measuring. And again, you have to take into account whether or not you're going straight from box to box or you're going up five feet, over ten feet, down five feet. And in a lot of the bidding softwares. It'll say on there where the receptacles are located, and if they're located 16 inches uh, to center of the box or 16 inches in general, and you know the ceiling's eight foot, then you know the distance between the boxes on the blueprint. You just have to account for from the box to the ceiling area, and so a lot of the softwares have that built in. I know Best Bid Hybrid Pro has that uh, feature that you can build into it, uh, but you need to work closely with the estimating software that you purchase in order to put in those what I quote rule of thumbs uh, that you can click and be able to use that little feature. But that's how you get your, 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 your wire. Now, a lot of times in those softwares, the labor units are already factored in. So if you run 10 feet and you're going to a box, it already knows that you're going to need this or this or this or staples or whatever you're using. Uh, but you need to look at every bidding software differently. My point of this podcast was to say that it's easy to start clicking through and getting your, your material costs, because now you can even go online and see what your costs are to start putting that together. But that doesn't figure the labor, and you have to figure the labor, and that's just one way, one way to do it. Uh, and again, some of the software already have that figured in, but again, the Nika's Manual of Labor Units gives you a good starting point because it talks about labor units for specific tasks, and that can help you. Now, I have seen many people, I'm going to talk residential for one second, I have seen many people doing residential projects lose their shirt and not grow beyond a small residential company and not make good profits uh, because generally it's very competitive and you're doing what we call spec houses is that you're you're going off of your old rule of thumb for what you did on other project and and every project is different. Uh, I tell people get used to bidding all projects, even the residential. Uh, get an idea of what your costs are. You know that that you can lay out, even if you just kind of, you know, walking through a, a house and, and marking it off, uh, you, you know, it's kind of late because you had, it's too late. You already bid it. Obviously, you're in there marking it off. But if you get a project, go on and see if there's a set of drawings. It's not going to be electrical drawings probably, but you're going to sit down and get used to marking off receptacles based on the normal 6 and 12 foot rule. Um, you'll have a conversation with them on the, the lighting, because they, they're going to have to tell you what lights they want. And Do your best to pull up with it so there's nothing. And then compare that to your rule of thumb where you just guessed and you might be surprised. Okay. Um, so, you know, I always do that. Even in a residential project, I always priced it, whether I gave them that or not, or, or whether or not they were just good customers or and they said, just do it. I wanted to see and make sure that whether or not I was my guessing Based on maybe you're doing it at a certain dollar figure per square foot, maybe four four dollars and fifty cents a square foot, or whatever you're doing, depending on the country. How did it compare to actual bidding? And of course, some of the estimating softwares that I worked with had a residential module that literally was designed for residential, and it made it easy 
to do that. Uh, again, not to harp on a company because we'll have a, a guy on here that, that talks about different estimating softwares. I'm just familiar with lately something like a best bid hybrid, which which actually lets you take a picture from your camera of the blueprint and then load the picture in, and you can actually place your receptacles on the drawing, and it'll start keeping count everywhere you drop them in. And you can measure everything, and it's just more interactive. And I'm sure all of the estimating softwares have something like that today. It just, I do it on every bid, even the residentials. Now, people say, well, time's of the essence. I can't wait. Trust me. They're not so in a hurry that they can't take a couple days or a day or two to work it up. If you're a company that's of decent size, you might have somebody that's doing that all the time anyway. But hey, if you want to go with the way you were doing it and it's successful for you, go for it. I'm just kind of giving you some insight. Okay. Now, once you've determined your labor units or you're using a software or whatever, um, you need to take those labor units you've determined and you need to multiply that by the burden of labor cost to determine the labor cost for the task. So it's very task specific. So a lot of times you'll have different units for a receptacle then you'll do it for this then you'll have it one for the wire that's 10 feet and then can you say okay well i've got that labor for each one of those tasks now i have to multiply them all together to find out what the cost is for that entire task putting that box in putting that receptacle in running that wire and so while you're sitting there working on all the individual pieces of labor you now have to add them you have to you have to tie them all together okay so that type of thing so um Many people that still do it by hand use an Excel or something like that or Word document take off, and they just have to add a lot of things up. But, you know, at the end, you're going to want to summarize the, you know, the material cost, the total labor units for all the items, and you're going to multiply the labor hours by your full burdened hourly labor cost so that you can get your total labor cost for the task, okay, for the entire task. That sounds daunting, but basically you'll get a manual of labor unit. Of course, if it's an estimating software, it probably does it already for you. But if you're doing it by hand, you need to get a manual labor unit. You might have to adjust it, whether you use Nika's or somebody else's. It's basically giving you the labor it takes to install um, a, a, a wire nut or to put a connector on the end of a conduit uh, or, or something like that. It actually breaks it down, the labor. And then you have to apply that to the task. Do I have two connectors? Do I have one, you know, distance from here to here? So maybe per foot of wire or per foot of conduit, there's an actual labor unit. And in order to be able to tie all this together, you have to tie those tasks together. That sounds really daunting, and most people probably don't go to that level. But all I'm saying is if you're doing it by hand and you're using Excel and you're counting, don't forget that all of those little devices and those little items all take time. And all of them have a labor unit that's associated with them. And most people don't know how to do that. That's why they turn to the softwares, and the software will do that for you. But I'm just kind of talking 30,000-foot view here today. Now, once you add that labor, that total labor cost, uh, then you're able to add that to the cost of your material. And by pulling those two together, those are direct costs for the material, uh, you pull those, those two together and you're going to have what's called a what I call a basically a subcost. This is your cost. This is your this is your break even on the material and labor cost. But the next step is you've got to go to is like okay, that direct cost that you might have from the labor units and the material got to be careful because that doesn't cover things like equipment that you might have to rent, or if I had to subcontract somebody. 
And so you don't want to lose sight of those extra costs. So don't get blindsided by that. Okay, you have something that you're doing and you've priced all the costs out. But now you've got a subcontractor for something specific that you just you just don't know how to do. Now, maybe you watch them and you learn and you can do it next time, but something specific. Um, an example would be maybe you're doing a house and they want a PV system and you're not familiar with PV, so you subcontract out the PV portion on the roof uh, and things like that. Once you get to the final, you, you can run everything up to a certain point and then you subcontract it to them. Well, hopefully you figured in that subcontracted price, Okay. All right, now once you've done all that, you, you've estimated the direct costs, which is the, the labor and the um, material. You cannot forget one important thing is, is the electrician or the electrical contractor has to always get paid, right? Yeah, we got to get our money. And so, and we have what's called overhead, okay? So that's the marketing, the bookkeeping, the office lease, and all those things, gas for the vehicle. Yeah, it's pretty simple, pretty self-explanatory, the different overheads that we have. But also, what about your profit? I have to make a profit. I'm not doing all this to break even. I'm paying my people or whatever, but I need to make a profit, and you're worth it. So now that you've done all that, you need to take in consideration things like profit and overhead. And that's what you're going to do to finally come to your overall price, right? So profit is pretty self-explanatory. Um, I don't really need to go to that. I mean, you determine what you need to make. Some people have a 5% margin. Some people have a 10% margin. In the retail world, we like to say a 33% margin, a, a third. Um, again, you'll only know your market, but you need to know what the percentage of the actual profit that you want to make on a job. So it's a you know it's a $100,000 job, and I have a 10% profit. Then after everything's said and done, and I haven't, hopefully lost my shirt on my bidding process, then it's a $100,000 job. I'm looking at making 10% on that job. Okay, so it's a $10,000 profit for that job. Now, that's great if you've got a bunch of crews and you got a bunch of jobs going on. That's going to add up pretty quickly per job. Okay, so again, only you know what your profit margin should be uh, in your area. Okay, which again, if you get that wrong and your profit margin's too high, then you could just price yourself right out of something, okay? But that's the medium size type of scenario. But, you know, you have other expenses that you need to consider. And many people, when they're bidding something, they, they do a price, they get the material, they determine their labor, however you like to determine it. And then they think about the, you know, the profit, but then they don't really figure in, well, what are all of my overheads? And the easiest way to do that is to come up with all your expenses to run your business on a monthly basis and break that down so that you know what it is per day for your burden and of, of the of the overhead. And that's for things like if you're leasing an office, you have trucks you have to pay, uh, estimating fee if you in-house estimate like you're doing here, if you have a sales staff, uh, marketing, bookkeeping, all those type of things that you need to do to run your business. Insurances, all that stuff are considered overheads, and I like to refer to them as, as burdens as well. So it's all those things I need to, to think about. Now, just like the percentage we want for profit, overhead is actually a percentage as well. And it's, it's a percentage that you're actually going to add to the project costs, um, and you're going to put that, you know, you're going to add that to all the things that you're working out. 
to get your overall price. So your overall price has to have your overhead, your profit, uh, the percentage on whatever your price is you worked up. Okay, their costs of your material, the costs of your labor, the costs of any uh, rentals or subcontractors or whatever it is you came up with a price. Now you're throwing on your you do that times the percentage for your overhead, and then you do that value again, the original value times the percentage for your profit, and you add all that up, and that's what your overall sale price is going to be. Now, if you're a small contractor, uh, many of them think they just don't have overheads and they shouldn't charge for it. That's not true. Your time is money, and you're leaving money on the table because the other competitor is going to do it. Even though you have a small business, it still takes you time at the end of the year to do your accounting. It still takes you time to do some of the things for your vehicle, your gas, your insurance, all those things that you think you're just absorbing is all of the things that you need to be considering as potential overhead. Again, you want to be competitive but you don't want to leave that part on the table because then you start making the little money and you think, hey, I'm doing all right. Then you start to realize that you didn't take into account all these other uh, ancillary costs that are eating away really at that profit, which you should be considering overhead to cover those things. And profit is what you want your company to walk away from for that project. Okay, Two different things. And sometimes I think people make a mistake and their overhead starts dipping out of their profit. And then ultimately, they wonder why they're not making a profit. is because they didn't calculate right the different things about their overhead. Things to think about when you're getting into a business. And we'll cover some of these in detail in our series about starting a business. Now, once you've got this down, you've got your final sale price. How am I addressing this to, to present this to the general contractor or the owner? Because I want to do this in the, the best light. And a lot of times when you're doing this, people get to this stage and they freak out because they, well, I say freak out. I mean, they simply just throw this on a, 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 a document that doesn't have, doesn't look professional. And now they give this to general contractor. And that's the worst thing you want to do. There's plenty of free templates out there that can make it look professional. Okay. Now. We've, we've worked all this up, we've got a sale price, and we have to do the proposal. And you want to make sure it's very clear, very accurate, states what your terms are. Very, You don't want to have any confusion in your terms. Okay. The other thing is, I suggest that you use similar language that are used in the actual specification of the drawing. So if they make reference to something and you're going to regurgitate that, Make sure you use the same type of language on your bid um, so that there's no conflict or, or miscommunication where somebody, and it might not be as, as intuitive as that, but there might be something where the guy goes, well, that's not what I was talking. That's not what we assumed on the, the specifications. You just assumed. Make it very clear. If they call for something and you feel like it's something that goes in your proposal, uh, only if it's something that specifically addresses something that might be on the specifications in order to, so everybody's on the same page, make sure you use the same language terminologies, uh, and things like that in order to make everything jive. Don't use your own terminologies or something can be confusing. Okay. Um, it also makes it easier for the, the contractor to look it over and make sure that you covered everything because they'll come up with questions. And if your bid looks good to them, the price looks good. Uh, they're always going to have a few more questions that they want to ask about. They're liable to go, well, I want to ask you about item this, this, this. Just want to clarify, 
okay? And it, it kind of builds that trust because now you know, look, we're pricing apples for apples and not apples for oranges. I'm, I'm giving you a bid basically on this. So many when I used to do proposals for lighting, I literally used the terminologies for the number of lights that we're going to supply in our proposal um, as it came off the drawings after lighting schedules so that there was no miscommunication. Okay, Everybody's different, but I was like that, and I had a template for that. And so it was pretty simple for me to grab something and, and put it in there exactly the same language that they, they had it on their drawings. Okay, um, Generally, uh, general contractors... Uh, provide what's called lump sum bids. Uh, this really means that there's a fixed fee to cover everything outlined in your bid. And so they they want a lump, a lump sum, make it clear. Uh, but I would say in your proposal, uh, make it very clear what's included. And if there's anything that's excluded, please make it clear. And there's a bunch of templates out there that do this. Uh, but you want to make it really, really clear. And if I can, I think I have one. And if I do, I'll make sure I put it into the description for the template. But it's pretty simple. Make sure that if there's something that you don't plan to do, that you put it on there. I'll give you a, a low example, a very low example, because you know I, I even used to bid my residential stuff um, because I used to do you know more expensive type homes. Uh, I don't, if it was a requirement to come out and, and repair something later or add something after the, after the gypsum board was put up, I made a note that I would always exclude any gypsum board repair because I'm not a gypsum guy. I don't repair it and I know how to do it, but I don't choose to do it and I hate to paint. Uh, and so a lot of times in my bids, these houses were so big, there was change orders. And so we had a change order, change order policy in the proposal. Not everybody will, but we did. And in there, I made it clear what I excluded. So if it was already uh, gypsum boarded or something and they wanted the owner wanted something added, that's fine for the changeover. Hey, it's fine with me if you want to move something. But I made it really clear that on all change owners orders that I did not repair building surface material uh, and I did not paint, plaster, um, mud, or whatever you want to call it. I use terminologies that are, you know, whatever the job I'm looking at, that I would exclude that. I am, that is not what I do. And so I made it very clear. Uh, you might be different, but just think about that. Typically, when you're given a price, it's one lump sum. If it includes everything, that's fine. If there's anything that's on your chest that you want to say, I don't do this, or this is not included, um, make sure that you state that. Otherwise, it could come and bite you in the butt. Okay. Uh, for example, if there's, uh, they talk about wanting some specialized uh, security or something, and you, and they lump it all in the in the electrical, and you're bidding a price on it, but you have no intention of doing anything for the the, the monitoring of the security or whatever, then it's excluded in there that you do not cover. The security and so and so just just some tips because it has come back and bit people in the butt okay now I've done all this I prepared my proposal I've done my check my numbers that brings us to the next thing double check your quantities make sure nothing's off before you send that off just give a quick uh, you know 30,000 foot view now in my company it was always originally I would look at it and then I would you know I would say well I'd have a second set of eyes look at it. Bobby, as long as it was time permitting and I had enough time, uh, two people would look at it. Uh, doesn't mean that you have to do that. Uh, and again, a lot of the software, 
uh, today does take off straight from a drawing. So if I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the one I just highlighted, I can see if I've missed anything and just kind of give it a quick glance again, because you're going to spend so much time in it that you shouldn't, but everybody misses something. Okay. A switch here or something. Uh, little things might not be too bad. Um, but you know, you want to, don't want to miss anything major. All right. So give it another look. Uh, in, uh, if you have somebody in your company that can do that, if it's just you again, uh, take a look at it later after you've worked up all this proposal and everything, give it a quick glance again. Okay. And it's just make sure you're looking at the major stuff, the panels. You didn't miss panels. You didn't miss breakers. Uh, any, any bus bars you might need. If it's doing big projects, make sure you didn't oversee any switch gear, which brings us to another thing at that point when you're doing the luminaires, uh, earlier on, when I said right away, when you start doing it, you know, get that luminaire schedule. You'll also have an equipment schedule. So if you're doing a big project that has switch gear, switch boards, things like that, get those together. They'll all be on there from the engineer on the drawing. Get that to your supply house very quickly because that's kind of stuff that can slow a project down and it takes a while to get that delivered. Another aspect of this is you might have a project which requires selective coordination. Now, today, rather than getting complicated in the selective coordination, if you have a project that requires selective coordination, is the manufacturers, if you get to them in time and you provide them with the equipment schedule, then they will be able to do selective coordination where necessary and they do it based on the frame rates and different things like that. So they will do it for you and give you a sheet for that. So it really saves a lot of headache if you're in an application which requires selective coordination. Okay. So just kind of things to think about early on, early on in the stage. And we're looking for anything, just making sure we didn't miss anything, uh, but get them there um, as quickly as possible. Okay. Uh, then, of course, you're at the you're at the fun stage now where you've done all the work. You're like, well, Jimmy's electric might be a little higher or a little lower. Maybe they didn't do their due diligence. And uh, if you get really good at this, it doesn't take you a long time. Um, some of the softwares, like I said, now make this stuff easy to come up with prices. Once you set the information in there, in whatever software you go, and I recommend every electrical contractor have some type of software. There's a cheaper versions and there's the expensive version. Make your life simple. Get a software. If you're just getting in the contract business, you're doing a home here or there, and they're just specification homes, spec bill homes, then it might not need to, but you still need to get into the process of counting, making sure that you're giving a good price. And when I say good price, it means you're going to walk away meeting your burden and you're going to make a profit. Okay. Uh, the rule of thumb stuff, I'm not big on. I'm not big on going, well, this house in this market is $4.75 a square foot. And 70. Here's my here's my challenge to you. Get a bidding software. Many of them you can get a demo for free. Do one of the houses you've done on it and see where your prices align. I have found that the the rule of thumbs and the price per square foot has screwed me more times than not uh, in a project. And be honest with you, again, pick the projects that are going to be ones that you can handle and you have a good feeling for. It. Doesn't mean you need to step outside of your comfort zone every now and then, uh, but. Just be careful because you definitely won't get anywhere in the business if you start losing your hat over jobs because you just did something that wasn't in your wheelhouse. So you're ready now. You've double-checked it. Everything looks good. Um, you, you, everything is uh, right on. Um, 
you're getting ready to submit that bid, definitely go and make sure you check the Division One again for specifications just to look and see if there's any specific instructions on who do you got to send this to or any special. Big projects might have instructions on their Division One of their specifications uh, on the on the how to bid and who to bid and where you send the con- the bid to because the last thing you want to do is lose something because you sent it to the wrong people. Now, if it's a small one where you're di- working directly with the general contractor, then that's different. You know who to go to. But some of these really big projects, uh, they're going to have bid instructions, at least to find out where it goes to. Okay, so I just want to make sure that there's no you know no mix up anywhere. Okay, um, so again, and you want to make sure that if they have specific instructions. Uh, and you want to have your proposal on a nice proposal sheet with your letterhead, not written in pen, professional, typed out, and submitted. And you want to make sure it goes to the right people. Um, now, after that, you're all done. You want to look and, uh, and say to yourself, well, um, how do I compare with other contractors? Did I lose a job? Do I win a job? Again, that's pretty hard. To, to know unless you just know you didn't get the job. Now, it could be somebody selected somebody off a preference. Could have been a friendship involved. Could have been just going through the hoops because they have to. Um, but if you win a project, then you get that project. Your bid was accepted. Make sure you always reevaluate the job after it's finished to see if it aligned with your bidding process and you can adjust from there. I always tell people, don't if you win the bid after it look and see whether or not you keep track of and I do this to make sure that people uh, anybody that's new to estimating should always do this you keep a folder for that project everything goes in that folder every expense everything and you keep track of it you keep a running total if you have a software that does this accounting and you can assign a code to it whatever but you keep a track because what I want people to do is to compare after the project and see whether or not everything that you did was was good because that gives you the confidence to use your software and your numbers and your values moving forward. You might have to tweak something here or there, especially, for example, the labor units. Labor units for the NECA is pretty general, but there's some people that work quicker than others and there's some people that work slower than others. So only you know your staff, and so you need you might have to tweak the numbers. Now, let's say you didn't get the project. Okay, well, I'm going to say this. If you didn't get the project, you have absolutely nothing to lose by going to that general contractor and just asking them, say, hey, I understand I didn't win the project. Look, don't let your ego get in the way. Go to them and say, hey, I understand I didn't get the project. Do you mind telling me where I was in the process? I mean, what made you not select me? You know, I'm not upset. I get it. It's business. But I think more often than not, people are afraid to ask the people they submit their bid to, where they stack up against somebody else that actually won, okay? Now, in many cases, they will actually even send you the bid material from a competitor that actually won the bid. And if you do, you struck gold because now you get to look at their figures and you get to compare and you go, well, I couldn't have done it for that price. I just couldn't have done it. I mean, this is my bare bone, but at least it gives you that confidence. And so don't be afraid to ask how you stacked up. And if you're lucky, in fact, I would even ask, I'd say, do you mind if I get a copy of the bid for this project that won? And they either say no, or they don't care, and they'll give it to you. 
Okay, it's a, it's a 50-50 shot, right? You got absolutely nothing to lose, but at least you need to ask where you where you stack up in the deal uh, because it helps you with that confidence. There's nothing worse than I hate is submitting something and not knowing whether I was $20,000 too high or or I get the job. And once I get the job, you know, you build a little relationship with that contractor, I still ask them, okay? I still ask them and I say, hey, I know I won this job, Um who was the closest bidder to me? I, I get it. I know I got it already, and I'm going to do it, and I'm committed to it, but it helps me out. You're helping me. You'll play that card with them. You help me. Please help me. Help me. And you get to see it, and you get to stack up because it might affect your next bid because you kind of know the project you're doing. If you made money or you're, making your, you're paying your burdens, you're paying your labor, you're paying your material, you're making your profit, and you were good, and you see that your competitor was $10,000 higher than you, it might mean that you might can adjust a little bit on your labor unit or you might be able to adjust a little bit on the unit cost or profit of material markup or whatever you're doing. Um, all those type of things, uh, it just helps you. So don't be afraid to ask, okay? Uh, again, the worst thing is they could say, nope, can't do it. <laughs> then, okay, all right, appreciate it. Um now again, if it's public bid, you know, then they, you know, they, they probably have no problem with it. If it's private, then again, you just have to ask and tell them you're trying to learn more about your company, your company. How do I do better? Did I need to make adjustments in future bids to be more competitive? If you appeal to them that way, you'd be very surprised. Don't be arrogant. Don't be a smart A, uh, and just you know, be humble about it and go to them, and you'd be very surprised what you can learn from the bidding process. And I want to know everything about it okay everything about it so anyway that's our show for today guys i just wanted to give an overview it's about an hour long on our show and i just wanted to talk about you know the bidding process and things to think about uh hopefully you got something out of this some tips uh that you can take to your bidding process hopefully in the next couple weeks we'll have our special guest on here that will talk about estimating and the process and the tools and And I know they do a training academy as well that maybe they'll talk about and things like that. So uh, stay tuned for that on electricianlive.com. And I want to thank all of you for joining us every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on electricianlive.com. Or if you want to chat with us, you can go to youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. Uh, and we do have a call-in number on those nights where we have the call-in shows, and that is 214-945-0653. So until next time, folks, stay safe, and God bless. You've been listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul 